4: Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, July 25th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. The Michelle Meow Show is your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Usually on Tuesdays, it is my favorite day, because on Tuesdays, John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club is here with us. But unfortunately, he had to take the day off. He's got a big, important meeting at the Commonwealth Club. They're moving into a new facility this fall and uh, I'm super excited about it because John and I will have some incredible news for you coming up about a stronger partnership. That's right, a stronger partnership. So it'll it'll exceed beyond just the weekly Tuesday uh, production that we're doing, and and it's going to be great only because. John does all of the political conversations. He hosts his own show here, which is called the Week-to-Week Political Roundtable Talk. And then there are various programs that the Commonwealth Club does that I've been talking about. So stay tuned for that. Today is an incredibly important day, Um, although, you know, in my mind, I'm just thinking about why is it so important uh, that a president who hates the former president so much has to put forward a, a motion or a motion to vote just to debate a health care bill that has given millions of Americans health care, by the way. But to debate it and, and only because, in, in my opinion, again, uh, you know, because it's named after Obama, because Obama – came up with the uh, the plan or it was under his administration i have no idea but i think it's ridiculous that we've got to put forward um some action to debate it and then uh, to repeal it uh, but the most ridiculous part is to debate it to repeal it with no with nothing i mean nothing of substance to replace it that's what i'm talking about no one ever said the affordable care act is perfect uh and uh Uh, but I I don't understand why this president just won't uh, be the president and come up with something of substance if you're going to replace something that gives so many uh, Americans protection, and and not just protection, but uh, the ability to live. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about that later. Today, we have two special guests. The first half will focus on justice. We'll focus on the legality of of some of the things that uh, the president has said in terms of his actions, um, some of the issues that he's involved himself. It's hard to navigate justice in Trump era or Trump's America. We're going to speak to Bill Yeomans, and he is the Ronald Goldfarb Fellow for Justice at Alliance for Justice. He previously taught constitutional law, civil rights, and legislation at American University Washington College of Law, and he is here to talk about an exciting new project and help us navigate through trump's america when it comes to justice bill welcome to the program
5: it's a pleasure to be here michelle thanks for having me
4: i want to talk to you about uh, first of all i want to talk about this whole discussion regarding justice in the trump era it's hard to even define what justice even means especially if you're new to this right like you're just jumping into the political world and finding out that um, the president has more power than you thought, and or you're learning or thinking that, wow, uh, he could do so much more. Let's talk about justice. What, do, what, do you, what are your thoughts when it comes to Donald Trump?
5: Yeah, well, I, th- I think uh, it is an extraordinary period, because what we have is a president who is testing uh, all of our uh, constitutional norms, uh, and is behaving uh, unlike any previous president. And um, what's, what is so astonishing is that there seems to be this complete lack of accountability when it comes to Trump. So, for instance, on a daily basis, he is violating the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution. And that's the clause that says that the president can't receive anything of value from a foreign government or from any of the states. Uh, and, you know, every time uh, a foreign uh, dignitary... Checks into the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C., and of course, they're doing it because Trump is president, uh, it's a violation of the Emoluments Clause. So, on a daily basis, we have a president who is violating the Constitution openly and defiantly. Um, but then we also have a president who simply doesn't seem to understand um, how our government works and exactly what his constitutional role is and what the constitutional role of the legislature is. And, and what the constitutional role of the courts is, so um, it, it's a, it's a it's a trying time, and um, I think we've reached a point now where um, things are starting to careen out of control even more rapidly than they were before, uh, and a lot of that is because of the russia investigation um, you know Trump obviously is uh, I think near panic. Uh, I think he senses that both uh, Uh, Special Counsel Robert Mueller and uh, the Senate Investigatory Committees, the Intelligence Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee, and to some extent the House Intelligence Committee, are closing in on information that will be extremely damaging to him. And I think he has decided that uh, he needs to stop this investigation no matter what. Uh, And, you know, he's been working on that um, since the beginning of his administration. Um, All of the events that led up to and surrounded the firing of Jim Comey, the FBI director, uh, were obviously directed at trying to um, slow down and eventually stop the investigation into Trump campaign collusion with Russia. Uh, and we're now, we have now reached uh, an astonishing period where the president is publicly disparaging his own attorney general, uh, who was one of his earlier, earliest supporters, Jeff Sessions, Senator Jeff Sessions from Alabama. Uh, and Senator Sessions, of course, was an extremely conservative uh, throwback senator. I mean, he was so far to the right in the Republican caucus in the Senate that he was even an outlier there. Uh, and uh, you know he is a, a product of uh, the Jim Crow South and has had issues with civil rights throughout his career, so he was a terrible choice for Attorney General, but Trump chose him, and he chose him because Sessions was one of his earliest supporters and Now we have uh, uh, Trump publicly turning on Sessions, obviously trying to get him to resign through a series of tweets. Uh, criticizing his job performance and calling him beleaguered and uh, uh, all of that. Uh, and the reason he wants him to resign is that uh, Sessions recused himself from the Russia investigation. Uh, <clears throat> I think Trump thinks that Sessions had an obligation to stay involved in the investigation and protect Trump. Uh, Trump doesn't understand that that's not how law enforcement works, uh, law enforcement has to be independent of politics. Um, and so um, he, he refuses to, to, to forgive Sessions for, um, for that recusal, uh, but now he wants him out of office because um, Rod Rosenstein, who is the deputy attorney general, uh, is now overseeing the investigation. Mueller is the, the special uh, counsel uh, who has day-to-day responsibility, but Rosenstein retains, retains authority uh, to review big decisions. Uh, and so, and Trump doesn't trust Rosenstein. Uh, Rosenstein is a longtime uh, uh, Justice Department person. He was a U.S. attorney, uh, and I think he takes fairly seriously his obligation to enforce the law. Um, so uh, Trump is in is in panic mode. I think so. He's trying to force Sessions out so that he can put in an Attorney General more to his liking, who will be able to supervise and eventually bring an end to the Russia investigation.
4: You've mentioned so many uh, big yeah, things there. And I so I, no, no, no. It's all great because it dovetails into a bunch of questions that I had for you anyway. You mentioned, you know, he's violating the Constitution. The president is violating the Constitution in many ways. Um, who, holds, who holds him accountable?
5: Well, you know, that's been the problem. Um, you know, the courts, to some extent, have held him accountable. So, you uh, you know, his travel ban encountered some problems uh, in the courts. Um, but ultimately, um,
3: it has to be Congress.
5: And that is the way that our system is designed. Uh, with our separation of powers, our checks and balances, um, Congress is supposed to be the counterweight to the executive branch and is supposed to engage in oversight of the executive branch to ensure that the president and other members of the executive branch stay within uh, legal limits. Um The problem is, of course, that um, both houses of Congress are now controlled by uh, Republican majorities, uh, and Republicans have um, sort of struck this craven deal uh, that they will refrain from criticizing Trump openly uh, until they get their agenda enacted, and their agenda, a big part of which is playing out today, is to repeal Obamacare. Uh, to uh, engage in large tax cuts for the wealthy, uh, and to further uh, this agenda of uh, deregulation that uh, that Trump has been uh, pursuing. So um, they have fallen down miserably in their obligation uh, to hold the president accountable. And the ultimate accountability, of course, is impeachment. Uh, You know, if the president uh, is uh, engaging in high crimes and misdemeanors, uh, there's a good argument already that uh, we have enough evidence to show that he is. Uh, The House of Representatives can vote out articles of impeachment, uh, and then uh, those articles of impeachment go to the Senate for trial. And there's actually a trial in the Senate. And if the Senate um, votes for removal, then the president is gone. And that's the big danger that Trump is facing. That is the ultimate accountability. And it's hard to see how anything short of that uh, is going to stop him from his wild course.
4: Michelle Meow, we're speaking with Bill Yeomans. He is the Ronald Goldfarb Fellow for Justice at Alliance for Justice, and they've just launched—Alliance for Justice has just launched Yeomans' work, in which Bill helps us navigate justice in the Trump era and how we make sense of that. Here's here's the one thing that I, I think a lot of Americans get— um, get confused about as we're reading stuff in the media and then if you tune in at all to the president when he speaks to the media you get even more confused. I mean this president has gotten so good at just kind of n- not making any sense and and confusing people who actually are intellectual or people who stay tuned to politics or hip to it um, that he's even you know gave the American people or at least his followers or some Americans the idea that the Constitution needs work. Our own American Constitution, if we go back to the travel ban and the courts had gotten involved and in, following up with my question about who holds the president accountable, I mean the the courts have gotten involved and have made their judgments and or decision and we're talking about the travel ban and his argument you know against that is that the it's something something's wrong with the constitution how do we (laughs) how do we get around that without making it sound like we are crazy liberal democrats who uh you know have have broken this country we came up with the constitution it's broken it's broken let's make america great again
5: yeah, well, you know, the Constitution is uh, is a revered document in the country, and and uh, and some of the irony here is that uh, uh, conservatives have almost made a cult of worshiping the Constitution, and they call themselves constitutional conservatives, as if they have some particular insight into what uh, the founders meant. Um, the constitution is uh the charter of our government uh and when we uh start disregarding it um, we are breaking down uh, all of the institutions that exist to protect us uh and um, that is i think perhaps the biggest danger of the the trump era uh which is that he is spreading this uh delegitimization of institutions Um, all of the institutions under the Constitution uh, that should be respected, but institutions, um, you know, throughout our society, uh, most notably the press. uh, And, you know, the press, uh, freedom of the press, is protected by the First Amendment to the Constitution. But it really is, the press is a bedrock institution that has kept our democracy thriving. And uh, by uh, trying to delegitimize the press by calling uh, everything fake news, by having a complete and utter disregard for facts, um, the president is really undermining uh, the press. He's trying to undermine the press uh, because he doesn't want a counter story to his to come out. And he he wants people to believe that if he says it, it's more likely to be true than if the press says it. Uh, and he's on that mission, and that is an enormously dangerous thing. When we divorce ourselves from facts and from the truth, uh, we, are, we are in, in, in big peril. Um, but I do think that um, our, you know, this is a great test for our constitutional uh, traditions and our institutions. And um, I, you know, I remain an optimist uh, that uh, they will carry us through this very tough period, uh, the Constitution is not a perfect document. It was written uh, in a very different time, forward a very different time. Uh, but uh, it has been adapted, it's been amended, and it's been interpreted by courts uh, in ways that, that have modernized it some. It still needs work. Uh, but it still remains the charter of our government. And uh, if we start blatantly disregarding it, as Trump has, uh, we're starting down a very dangerous course.
4: On that note, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll have more questions for Bill. So, Bill, don't go away, okay? Sure. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company.
3: Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs.
1: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
4: Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our special guest on the phone helping us make sense of justice in the Trump era is Bill Yeomans. He's the Ronald Goldfarb Fellow for Justice at Alliance for Justice, and Alliance for Justice has just... Uh, launched a new program on their website at afj.org called Yeoman's Work. So I, I had a lot of great, uh, I had a great time reading through Bill's work and making sense for me because as someone who's just getting into this and, and really going at it for uh, political reasons, uh, Bill's work makes a lot of sense. So, Bill, you, you know, let's talk about uh, Donald Trump and his big, Boasting of how much power he actually has, and if you go to the site right now, you'll see a uh, an article that you wrote. Don't be distracted by Trump's threat to pardon himself. Can the president pardon himself?
5: Uh, well, this has been a, a real debate recently. You know, he tweeted out something about how uh, about his the uh, the breadth of his pardon power, and it's true the president is explicitly given the power to issue pardons in the Constitution, and that power has been interpreted to be quite broad, but uh, no president has ever tried to pardon himself. And so there, there is uh, no court has ever considered uh, the issue under the Constitution. Uh, scholars have debated both sides of it. I think the, the better argument is that he cannot, um, simply because uh, it is inconsistent with our notion that nobody is um, above the law. Uh, and we, in our society, we do believe in the rule of law, and it's inconsistent with the notion that no one should be the judge of their own case. Um, so I think that um, he probably can't pardon himself. But um, my my view is that that is kind of a a, a phony and uh, uh, a phony debate that that is intended largely to distract us at this point, um, because the concern that Donald Trump should have is not about being prosecuted criminally. Uh, it 's about being impeached, uh, and he cannot pardon himself from impeachment. The pardon power does not reach impeachment, uh, so nothing that he does will exempt him from impeachment um, and it it it, it he 's not going to be prosecuted. it seems to me uh, first of all while he 's uh, sitting as president uh, because the Department of Justice has twice opined uh, that the Constitution does not permit that um, The uh, special prosecutors, interestingly, the special prosecutor's offices in both the Watergate investigation and the Clinton investigation, wrote memos saying that a sitting president could be prosecuted, uh, but the Department of Justice has a policy to the contrary, and I don't think Mueller is going to be in a position to defy that policy. So Trump's not going to get prosecuted while he's in office. And then we have a a tradition, uh, which um, Trump is bringing into doubt, but it has long been our tradition uh to not operate as a banana republic in other words when our um uh, uh when we have political victors they don't use the criminal justice system to prosecute the losers uh and so it would be very unlikely that a subsequent president would prosecute uh former president Trump now you know Trump is tweeting out today about how uh, attorney general sessions should be doing uh, uh much more rigorous investigation of Hillary Clinton uh, with the idea of prosecuting her. So he may not accept. That may be another norm that he doesn't accept. But we as a society traditionally have accepted that. So he really doesn't have to worry, I think, about pardoning himself. I don't think he's in, in, in immediate criminal jeopardy. But, you know, he does have the power to pardon all those other people around him. So he can pardon all the people from his campaign. He can pardon all the people working in the White House. He can pardon his family members. Uh, and that means that they cannot be prosecuted federally. Uh, but presidential pardons only extend to federal law. So people who even people who receive a presidential pardon uh, can be prosecuted by states. And it does seem likely that a lot of the information developed uh, during the Russia investigation um, uh, could be relevant to state law violations, um, you know, financial, um, regulatory violations, campaign finance violations, what have you. So, uh, even if he pardons people, they won't go scot free. But uh, it will make it difficult for, uh, more difficult for there to be a federal investigation. And importantly, it means that federal investigators lose a really significant tool that prosecutors use, uh, which is to uh, investigate uh, people surrounding the principal. Uh To come up with potential criminal charges against them and get them to testify uh, against the principal uh, that will be hard to do if there are extensive pardons because people won't be- cha- won't be facing at least federal uh criminal jeopardy
4: you, you um, bring up a, a very interesting point and so you know what what does that mean uh, when you say that the state could get involved, I mean what state, say for example, when you're talking about the Trump family at this point, you know Jared kushner his son in law trump jr um, what if if we're talking about criminal law, we get it from the federal perspective, yeah, but explain that as it applies to state laws that could have been violated
5: sure well, I mean you know the most obvious uh, location would be New York. Uh, And as we know, there have been um, some fairly shady Trump dealings in New York. Um, You know, we're just now starting to learn about Jared Kushner's financial world, uh, and it's fairly certain there are irregularities there. And Paul Manafort uh, uh, has been uh, doing all kinds of deals with Ukraine and other places, um, which most of which I'm sure have passed through New York in one way or another. So, um, you know, there, it's it's not clear at this point what the state violations would be, but it does seem pretty certain that as uh, investigators get into uh, the Trump financial world in greater depth, uh, they're going to come up with information that could uh, warrant state prosecutions. And certainly New York is, is uh, one place where it could happen, but any state can do it where there's a sufficient nexus. So even California could
4: get involved. Wow, that is so fascinating. I mean, certainly, you know, not anything uh, us regular people are thinking of. As we're winding down the interview, um, I want to talk about the fact that Alliance for Justice is launching your work very specific to navigating justice in the Trump era. You know, why are you excited to be a part of this? Why is it necessary? And do you think that having conversations as it applies to justice here in America uh, could be the pathway for us to really make some changes that we need to make, but also teach us um, something about ourselves as Americans and what it means to be American?
5: Well, I think, I think this is a really important time for um, deep reflection about that issue. What does it mean to be an American? And um, for reflection about um, our bedrock principles, many of which are found in the Constitution, um, as as I've said um, they are they are really under threat right now, and it is enormously significant for citizens across the country uh, to be focused on these issues and to be focused on the threat that the Trump presidency poses uh, for the principles that have uh, gotten us this far in our history uh, and so um, I think, uh, I mean, I'm always thrilled to work with Alliance for Justice, which is a terrific organization. Uh, But I think this is a particularly important time.
4: Bill, uh, lots of people are going to ask, and I think you get asked this question a lot. You mentioned it earlier when I asked a question about who holds the president accountable. At the end of the day, if we're talking about impeachment, it goes back to the House. It goes uh, back to the Senate, which are Republican-controlled uh, you talked a whole lot in this half hour about how things are starting to fall apart. Um, do you feel that the Republican Party can come back to at least understanding and agreeing what justice means to the American people? Uh,
5: I, I, you know, I have to honestly say I don't know. Um, I, I don't have a lot of faith uh, in um, uh, the people who are leading the Republican Party at this point. There are some good people in the Republican Party who I think believe in the kinds of bedrock principles that we've been talking about and who believe in the Constitution. Um, So, you know, we need to appeal to them. But I do think that um, what we're facing is a clear need for um, uh, electoral changes in the 2018 election. And uh, if uh, leadership of one of the houses of Congress falls to the Democrats, Um, This will be a very different world and be a very different world for Donald Trump, who will be uh, held much more accountable, um, both through oversight hearings, but also um, uh, with the possibility of impeachment.
4: Bill, thank you so much for your time here on the Michelle Miao Show and for the work that you do.
5: Thank you, Michelle. It's been a pleasure.
4: Like I mentioned earlier, if you want to read more of Bill's work, you can head to uh, afj.org slash yeomans-work or uh, Google AFJ, hit the search button and uh, enter Bill Yeomans, and that's Y-E-O-M-A-N-S. We'll also post this podcast up with the correct spelling so that you have it. I recommend that you do that and recommend you read as much as you possibly can, especially during this political time. We're going to take a quick short break, but when we come back, we have a special guest on the phone. He'll talk about hella strangers.
1: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
4: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. The Michelle Meow Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and Everyone in Between show. The first half was intense, political, and fascinating. Fascinating in a way that if you're just like me, you know, jumping really hard into the political world, trying to navigate through Trump's America and understanding how our political system works. Bill Yeomans is a great tool and resource because he's got a lot of experience and that there are tons of Americans out there. It doesn't matter you know, how smart you are or how much you're reading or what school you went to or what you did as a profession. I'm starting to feel like we're all concerned in a very um, common or uh, uniting way. So talk to as many people as possible, even if they're on a different uh, a different side than you. Sometimes you can learn from that. But But be safe. I mean, I'm not saying go out and talk to every single Trump supporter there is out there. <laughs> the next half of the show, we're going to be a little bit more light, have some discussions about identity and also just how we connect. Um, I definitely am drawn to this artist who's here in the Bay Area when I first met them, and that's Chelsea Chang, who has a new, I would say, a a web series, a new TV show out called Hella Strangers. Let's find out what Hella Strangers is all about. Chelsea, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Super stoked to be on this. I'm super stoked for hella strangers first and foremost i have to tell you the word hella means so much to me because i'm hella all about hella as a northern cali (laughs) kid and used the word hella so many times um so yeah talk to us about how it came about like what were you doing drinking coffee with with strangers and then decided that you know we're all yes strangers but coming together in the bay area You know, that's
2: pretty close. Um, Actually, how this idea came about was the amount of Tinder dates I've been on, and I was just, like, really overwhelmed. I was like, wow, like, we're just getting more and more connected. Like, the more I meet people, like, almost every single day, it's not like you're meeting somebody new anymore. It's like you're meeting somebody that you already know of through (laughs) somebody else in the Bay Area. And I'm like, whoa, like, there are hella people in the Bay Area, but, like, at the same time, we're all hella strangers. Um, And then... Coincidentally, I went to watch Moonlight like maybe a week after this idea started cooking in my brain. And then you know how like, um, in, there's a scene, a really beautiful scene where they're in the diner, and then um, the character Kevin plays a song, and it's that Hello Stranger song. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wow, that really rings to me. Like that song, like the lyrics in itself, where it's just like greeting a stranger, but it, like, it seems like you've known them for a long time. And so I was like, huh, I think I could play off of this. So then Hello Strangers was born, and I just, like, wanted to play off the idea of all these people meeting and, like, thinking they know so much about each other. But in reality, they don't,
4: hmm. even
2: if they've lived in the same area the whole time.
4: Isn't it interesting? I mean, that's so very true. I, I know of people when I first came out, first moved to San Francisco um, in 2000, but, uh, you know, that, that I actually don't know. Like, I know, I know them but I don't know them. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
2: I think that's what I said when I met you, right? I was like, oh, Michelle, like, we're, like, in so many of the same, like, LGBT spaces, but I've never met you in person, but I know so much about you. (laughs)
4: Well, Let's talk about you. Um, You know, born and raised where? Born and raised
2: in the Bay, more specifically in the East Bay, Fremont. Yay. And if you don't
4: mind me asking, you know, uh, age or age range...
2: Yeah, I am definitely what you would call a millennial. I am 25, um, graduated from the University of San Francisco, and currently studying at Stanford for some film stuff, which is hopefully going to better my tools and resources with Hello Strangers. Mm
4: Mm-hmm. Well, the reason why I asked about, you know, your own experiences and background was because I I really wanted to ask, you know, your own experiences in cultivating relationships with other Mm -hmm. queer people. And when I first came out, and I would say I'm on the cusp of millennial and whatever, or, Mm -hmm. you know, I I can decide (laughs) because I'm 35, um, is is really, you know, uh, it was... uh, it was all about the pride spaces at some point Mm -hmm. and and kind of moving into this very celebratory but nod back to the the history of the LGBTQ movement. What was Mm -hmm. it like, you know, for you starting out in the community as a millennial? Oh,
2: man, coming out for me there, like I came out in my sophomore year, so that was maybe like 2010, and that was like the brink of, I believe, the Prop 8, campaign, and people were, like, my school was, like, really debating about, because I went to a Catholic private school, so you can only imagine what that experience was like for me. I was definitely, I felt like I was forced out of the closet because of how much I was made fun of. Like, I was pretty much, like, bullied into, like, yeah, like, we all know you're gay, so just come out already, but that didn't make things easier. Um, So there wasn't really that kind of community for me in high school, uh, which was really traumatizing, and then when I went to college, it was obviously way more free and accepting and that's when I started to find my close circle of friends um, and a lot of queer spaces Um, but even now like I still have trouble navigating the world as a queer gender fluid person uh, especially since like now we're all about radical liberation movements and there's so many different niches of that Uh, I'm still trying to find what it means to be in a queer community because of that like because everybody's so siloed Um, Even in the Bay Area, like, if you think about it, like, you have your queer Latinx community, you have your queer Asian community, um, and, like, sometimes some of these communities can't share the same spaces, which is uh, getting kind of, like, more and more complicated the more we strive for inclusiveness. It's getting Mm -hmm. a little rocky, yeah.
4: I think I know a thing or two about that, um, mm-hmm. but that's for a different discussion and a different yeah. day. <laughs> but but I can see how Hella Strangers, or at least a project like Hella Strangers, would be able uh, to 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 help people see that although you know we might be strangers and in, in, by the definition of that and not know each other, uh, but once we start talking, we we might have more in common than we think. What do you think? Yeah, exactly.
2: Definitely, uh,
4: that's. Really, the whole
2: point of what *Hello Strangers* is about—we um, follow all these different characters who go to the same spaces, um, but like never really get a chance to like acknowledge each other. Which sort of like follows that um, cliche love actually format of where these worlds intertwine, but like, you know, you don't see that happening with in the Bay Area. Like in mainstream media, you see that happening in New York or L.A., but there's never something that covers what it's like in the Bay Area. Um, so all these characters are going to like say like Jack London Square or, like, even, like, Golden Gate Park. Like, you see them all in these spaces. Um, but they have their – they're all going through their own situations um, and not interacting with each other. But then later on, um, as the plot unfolds, they see how they're all connected.
4: I want to go back to, you know, your you – know, when you talked about um, this all started through, you know, your experiences on Tinder, Tinder mm-hmm. being, you know, dating app and yeah. – uh, uh, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting that a dating app, you know, like Tinder that is supposed to be inclusive of all people mm-hmm. and all tastes um, mm-hmm. and things like that kind of put you with, s- supposedly you're supposed to match the people that you're, you're into or that, that there's a, a yeah. match, right? hmm So what are your feelings or your thoughts? Like, I mean, as far as people uh, actually connecting on that level, um, you mentioned, you know, as we uh, enter into this radical liberating space of the queer community, do you think that politics and and being a millennial and people coming from so many various backgrounds as queer people has Uh created some distance between us?
2: Um, that's a really tough question, and uh, I keep thinking about that the more and more I use the app, or debate whether I should just delete the app. Um, but that's like another thing. Like, even though there's hella people in the Bay Area, we're all really lonely people. And the more that I look at the app, like, yeah, it also has a lot to deal with politics of how you view beauty. I mean, we're swiping through pictures. That's the very first and only thing you like get of the person, unless you decide to actually click on the profile and read about them if they have a bio. Some people don't even, like, put more than 140 characters, which is, like, very little to, you know, vet a person or to get to know somebody. Um, so really, it's... Um, I've been thinking about this. It's like, is my mind, when I'm looking through these apps, is it because of the way society has taught me to view beauty as, like, what a queer person is supposed to be? Are they supposed to look like who we see on Orange is a New Black? Or, like, are they supposed to look like people like me? Or um, am I still, like... Looking for that Victoria's Secret model, like throughout, like, am I going to keep swiping until I find a Victoria's Secret looking model on there? Uh, there? Like, there's a lot of, um, yeah, it, like, there's a lot of politics when it comes to the way people view beauty, especially on these dating apps. And uh, I don't know how hard, like, if it's for the better or if it's making things more harmful when it comes to looking for love in the Bay Area or just in general.
4: Mm-hmm. Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Chelsea Chang, who's the producer and director. Of Hella Strangers, a new web series that exposes the ugliness of love as a queer trans person of color in the Bay Area. Um, when we say, you know, POC, that is political in San Francisco mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, what types of, do you ever feel feelings of like alienation? And I say this because we, you know, you started this out uh, as your experiences on Tinder. San Francisco has lost pretty much all of its lesbian identified. Um, mm-hmm. spaces, and there are more queer parties or inclusive parties, but it's not like we have that set, you know, like the way that the Castro was for gay men in the mm-hmm. 70s and 80s. So how do you make sense of it all? And, uh, you know, have you been in love? Have you found a relationship uh, through just kind <laughs> of getting through all of this, That the, the city that just keeps dwindling away at spaces that are safe for you?
2: Um, you know, I like to say I'm in the whole trial and error. Like I've been on so many dates. I like to uh, poke fun that I'm going on 500 dates of summer. Um, but <laughs> it, it's, it's just really hard to, it's it's really hard to find love in the Bay Area if you've been born and raised here and you feel like so many people already know about you or you feel like you know about them and like this interconnecting love. you like, you know, I feel like there's this joke about how the queer community is also super incest, like, because there's such a lack of supply of us, so, like, whenever we connect with somebody, we just want to, like, latch on to them right away because it's like, oh, my God, I don't know if I'm ever going to find somebody like you um, if I, like, don't take a chance at this right now because, like, you know, the queer community is still pretty small even though people are starting to say, oh, everybody's queer now. It's like, well, like, there's, like, barely any spaces out here, um, like you said, and, like, it's hard to, like, find time especially like if you're trying to survive and you don't work a nine to five you work like three jobs and stuff like that there's just a lot going on when it um, comes to like finding community in the bay area that makes it difficult
4: i have to take a quick break but when we come back i want to continue our conversation uh, chelsea i have this question especially around you know labels and how that's mm-hmm. changed in mm-hmm. my experience over time uh, especially here in the bay area so don't go away okay for sure
3: Babe, i think we're ready
1: And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show.
4: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here. I'm having a great time with my special guest on the phone, Chelsea Chang, who has a new web series that they're working on, Hella Strangers so perfect for today's time and kind of just showing us that we all are still interconnected, although our movement, our identities has evolved over time. And when I say us, I mean the LGBTQ community. So Chelsea, when I came out in 2000, uh, I came out and identified as lesbian right away because that was the only thing Mm -hmm. that I I became aware of or that I knew of or that people told me I was because I was attracted to women of the same sex. but you know, I all my relationships, uh, my my girlfriends were women who were curious, who were bi, and for the most mm-hmm. part, many people identified them later in life as straight. And then now in 2017, there's actually an identity for that, and uh, many people deciding to become labelless, if you will, and or queer, reclaiming the word queer and i get a lot from other people outside the community or older lgbtqs why you know we're we're so embracing of the term queer or being label um mm-hmm. maybe you could help us explain because i think in your world it's much more common
2: yeah um i was i remember what the first time i heard somebody identify as queer I was actually on a date and then they told me that they identify as queer and I was so taken aback um because I did I've never heard that word used like in maybe in this like positive sense of where somebody would like shamelessly identify themselves as that I've only like you I've only been um exposed to the word gay and lesbian and bisexual Uh, that's how sheltered I was in like my queer politics um and then all of a sudden when I heard this I was like whoa, like, isn't that, like, an offensive term? And they're like, no, like, people are reclaiming that now because, like, it could be used, like, very loosely to describe, like, why would we just pit ourselves like women? If you're a lesbian, you can only be attracted to women, and same thing with men. Um, So I started, like, identifying closer with that word, and especially, like, when I'm trying to uh, talk about identity politics and when it comes to the LGBT community as a whole, uh, i refer as I refer to them as the queer community, and it seems like that's what's going on uh as we get further and further into discussions. people are just uh just instead of l g b t it's becoming more so queer community.
4: Thank you for that um The other question I wanted to ask you, especially you know doing this whole project, hello strangers, you're probably encountering people from you know, all over, especially if you're you're looking at different uh, decades or age ranges, right? And I the uh, the politics has changed so much, especially in the LGBTQ community, with people now identifying as moderates or people as radical as you had just mentioned. Does any of that mm-hmm. play out in *Hella Strangers* at all? Uh, definitely, we have a
2: character. Um, her name is
4: Bing Bing, and she's like
2: very. Uh, what people would call, like, quote-unquote, the, the, ra- the angry, radical person. Um, and uh, the whole show follows her journey of, like, what is anger, why is anger associated as a negative term, especially when you're rallying behind causes that you're so passionate about? Like, um, anger and passion they are so, like, correlated with each other, but then why is it when it comes to this um, strong female who's, like, behind all these movements, why is it mistaken as anger, and why do they pit her as this quote-unquote angry woman of color. You know, like, we have, like, the stereotype of the angry black woman or angry Asian man or, like, angry old white man. Um, But, like, when you follow these characters, like, there's a story behind them and, like, why are they so passionate about these things? Why are they so vocal? Um, Why do they do all these rallies? Um, So I'm hoping when people watch the show, they'll come to understand where this fire within these um, types of people who are so passionate about these causes and like their politics, where did it come from?
4: One of the interesting things that um, I like to talk about is the fact that it, it, the identities of queer people of color and our issues are now uh, becoming more mainstream with the help of organizations like Black Lives Matter. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and new radical activists, or not even radical activists, but new activists who are continuing the work that has been going on for a long time. But with social media, it's just been a lot easier to get the word out there. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that has created a space where there are um, misunderstandings, especially with LGBT activists who are cisgender or white. Mm-hmm. Does any of that, you know, those feelings or narratives come out in Hello Strangers, uh, especially here in, you know, it's the Bay Area. And I'm just wondering, mm-hmm. since that's all I see on social media these days are mm-hmm. these uh, dialogues and discussions of people on different fences. Mm-hmm. Um, man,
2: this is like a really sensitive topic to me because it's something I'm still struggling with. Um, I know a lot of people uh, who are very good friends of mine, um, all queer POC uh, their form of like radical liberation is to not to completely disassociate themselves um, from white people or cisgendered people, um, and because it's like it's all about keeping the their queer POC community as close together as possible. Um, but me, I've been like struggling with: do I want to extend this conversation that we're having within our own community and share it with people who might not be understanding? Which is also the whole um, point of the Michelle Miao show. Am I correct?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Let's have a conversation and find out where we can have common ground. Exactly.
2: Um, And like, I'm struggling with that because I am, I do see where people can get triggered and exhausted um, with this back and forth, especially if the other side is not willing to hear you out and they just expect you to listen. Um, But sometimes I feel like if you're willing to keep engaging in the conversation, there's bound to be, a point of common ground that you reach or at least like you learn more about at least you can walk away saying like you learned more about the other side instead of completely closing yourself off and claiming to be the less ignorant one because I think ignorance in itself is not exposing yourself to other things that are out there and just keeping it within your own community you know
4: Thank you so much for that, and that was the end of my really serious, heavy questions. I, I, <laughs> I really, really, uh, your work inspires me, and I like learning from, from folks, um, you know, who do a lot of different things, and you do just that. So now on to the fun stuff as we wind down the interview. Um, this started out with you looking for love. Hello, Strangers is about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a quest uh, for finding love. What are you looking for when you're looking for love? As uh, and I'm asking Chelsea, <laughs> um, someone who won't cheat on me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 I, yeah, it's pretty much. It's not that hard to ask. Oh no, like in all seriousness, I'm really at this point where I'm realizing chemistry does not equal compatibility. Um, you could have so much, like like I said, passion and fire with somebody, but, you know, do your morals and your values and your goals align with that other person? Um, and if not, is it worth putting in all that work into finding this compromise to where your journey will line up with each other? Um, so I think that's at the point of uh, where I am in navigating my world as a Queer, or navigating the world as a queer person looking for love yeah
4: seeing that we're both asian american my mom still has traditional values even mm-hmm. you know and she's she's come around a whole lot and she's mm-hmm. getting better at uh, me being queer and all mm-hmm. but what about your parents do they have an ideal partner for you
2: uh so my mom used to be the very like traditional one like oh like uh when i turned 24 kind of like why aren't you married yet or like you know when are you having kids kind of thing but uh after the amount of trauma my mom has seen me go through with, like, abusive relationships um, with um, queer women that we, she has welcomed into our family, you know. Um, it, really, she's now just super, like, you know, Chelsea, like, I just want you to find somebody who will really take care of you. And I know that if I leave, you're being taken care of. Um, so that's definitely, like, my mom and I have such a good relationship now. Like, I love her so much. She's my best friend. And, like, I can talk to her. About like my dates that I go on and she knows if I'm going on a date and she'll be like willing to tell me if like she gets like good and quote unquote good energy from them or not. It's really cute.
4: My last question for you. um, What do you want people to take away from uh, when they watch Hello Strangers? Like what? Yeah. Like what do you want them to realize or take away from the program?
2: Um, I'll actually give you a story that reminded me of a show that happened to me the other day. Um, I do spoken word and the other day I was, uh, sitting, uh, in like a middle of a park and I was just like typing away on my phone and like all of a sudden, like this random guy just passes by and then he's like, God, like these fucking kids just like sit around and do nothing but text all day. Um, but like I was writing this whole piece on my phone about like what I hope the world to become of um, in the next few years or so, because like, you know, I've been so depressed about, um, the election and stuff like that. So I was like writing my thoughts about it. And like, you know, like I didn't say anything to him, but I was like, you know, like if people weren't so quick to judge, um, others, you'd be surprised uh, of knowing like what people are capable of or what they actually do. Uh, like, I'm sure if he knew I was writing that poem, he would have been like, you know, blown away or willing to have a conversation about it. But People are just so quick to judge, and so by watching Hel- when people watch Hell of Strangers, I hope they realize like when I ex- um, share these people's stories and when they follow these people's stories, um, they're going to think better next time um, whether they see like um, that person handing out flyers and screaming at the top of their lungs on Union Square about like saving the animals, or like if. Um, they're going to wonder what that person who's just sitting on BART, like, texting away, like, are they going to assume they're on Tinder right away or if they're composing, you know, the next manifesto of bringing, like, the earth into a better place or anything like that.
4: Chelsea, thank you so much for doing you and being you. You're awesome. No,
2: thank you. That's all you, too. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, I, I can't wait for Hella Strangers. And, uh, yeah, I'm all about it. And we'll share it here on Progressive Voices when it's all done.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you for having me, and I love your work, and I love what this show is about.
4: Don't go away. When we come back, uh, we're, I'm going to shut down the show with some final thoughts, but listen to this two-minute thing that we put together featuring Heklina, who's a world-renowned drag queen who's done a lot here for the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I love Heclina. There's a, there's all kinds of great programs that we do here in the Bay Area that supports LGBTQ rights and LGBTQ communities. And Heclina is definitely one at the forefront of doing all that. And Sister Roma, who we had just last week. Sister Roma has a show here in the Bay Area, if you are here in the Bay Area. Um, and it's Stilettos for Shanghai for Chechnya, which is happening at the Castro Theater august 7th at six o'clock the vip reception is at six and then it's the movie there's a, a movie that sister roma or the sisters of perpetual indulgence did um featuring their time in shanghai but the proceeds of this event will support organizations like rainbow railroad and Orem, in which those two organizations are working hard to 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 basically bring awareness of what's happening in Chechnya to the LGBTQ community and if you're following the news then you know that they're torturing murdering killing gay men in Chechnya rounding them up Uh, the leader of Chechnya has sworn on all, all his life that there are no gay people in Chechnya it's very scary stuff So all that information can be found at michellemiao.com. I want to thank you all for joining me here on this program. Today was a sad day because John Zipper wasn't here, but he will be here on Thursday. So I promise to have another good program for you Thursday. If you have thoughts for us, head to michellemiao.com. All of the TV shows are posted there as well as current podcasts. I'd love to hear from you. We'll see you tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock.